Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode nine of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined a very exciting episode with Stacey Patton. Exciting because the Don has once again settled all family business, or at least the start of it. Leon Rose making the trade yesterday that I don't know about you, Stacy, but I'd be very interested in hearing your initial reaction and your 24 hours later reaction because my initial reaction to the Cam Reddish trade was that is a steal. And my feeling 24 hours later is still that it's a good trade for the Knicks, but I'm starting to think more about what it might portend for the next move or the next few moves. So first, what did you think when you first heard the deal, like your initial reaction viscerally, and then have you thought any more about it since then? Yeah. Um, I mean, reading the notes and then seeing, you know, Knox get tripped was like the last piece. I felt like it was like a steal, right? Um, we traded basically a heavily protected first, so a late first, right? It, it's likely to convey this year, by the way. A lot of people uh, think it might not ever convey. Char- Charlotte's really good, so it's probably going to convey in one of the next couple of years, but it's going to be, if it conveys this year, it'll be at the 20th pick. So we traded the difference between that 20th pick and like we got another um, Brooklyn second back. We traded that difference. Uh, and keep in mind, this is a 2025 Brooklyn second. So if you are familiar with the Brooklyn Nets, they are an extremely talented team now. Um, the idea that they will be an extremely good team in 2025 um, is very much uh, in question, uh, particularly since they've sent away a lot of first-round picks and they have a couple of young prospects. They but. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden will probably not be the same version of themselves. So they traded that difference to get an upgrade from Kevin Knox. Um, So it's a great value trade. Um, I think where I differ from a lot of Knicks fans is I think a lot of Knicks fans are like, that's it. They traded for Cam. He's going to move right into the starting lineup. And um, I think what people, we, we can get into this more. I have a lot to say on Cam. But I think the long and short of it is he he has as much potential as anyone on the Knicks roster, given his skill set. Um, he gives the Knicks an opportunity at a skill set. Like the reason why Kevin Knox stuck and the reason why they drafted him is because they wanted that oversized wing, right? Um, you know, people always wanted him to play the four because that was his better position. But part of the reason they played him at the three is like that six nine wing with a seven foot wingspan. Having that at the three is huge. And Cam can do that. Um, can he do that consistently? We'll see. But that that is what he gives them, which is what, something they've needed for a long time. They tried that with Anthony Early. They tried that with Kevin Knox. They've tried that with Mario Hazonia. They haven't been able to find that wing. Um, RJ Barrett has done a good job of being the closest thing to that. Um, but... You know, you, being able to play RJ at the two next to a guy like that is also really good. So that's the kind of player they've missed. But there's a difference between that and the idea of Cam Reddish and what he is now. And what he is now is I don't think a player who is better than the players currently receiving minutes in the Knicks rotation. Um, I understand there's a lot of upset Knicks fans who will say, how could he possibly worse than Evan Fournier? But um, 
there there are reasons why that's the case, I think. But even I, you could talk me into starting him over Fournier. You're not going to talk me into starting or giving Cam Reddish minutes over Quentin Grimes at this point. Um, and I can talk about that more. But um, the long and sh- the the short answer is this: they made a positive value trade. They consolidated a first round pick that was very much ambiguous in what its value was into a player that a lot of teams like. Um, with upside, uh, that's a good thing. And I think it was a, a move with the long-term in mind, but I don't think it was a move with the idea that they're just going to start Cam immediately. And even if you thought the difference in Knox and Reddish wasn't that much, Knox will be a free agent this year. Cam, ideally, the Knicks would be able to lock him up to an affordable extension this October, but if that's not the case, they still have the ability to match him next year so they get a full year and a half to see what they have in cam reddish before they need to make any decision but i just talked a lot um sorry matt what are your thoughts kind of going deeper so i love trades because they give you the opportunity as a fan to have like those honest you love what sorry i love trades um or signings but really trades more so because signings usually there's hype before it happens when a trade like this there had been some smoke around Cam Reddish's name and the Knicks being interested, but like I wasn't expecting anything to actually happen. Um, and I love trades because for like that one brief moment, you just have like an initial private, like honest reaction before there's any inside or any input. Like you just are able to have a moment where like you see what you feel. And when I saw that the deal was made, like I was surprised at how oddly, comforted I was to see that the Knicks had been asked for Grimes and had said no. I feel like a lot of Knicks front offices in the past would throw Quentin Grimes into that deal. Um, yeah, that was important to me. Like When I read that, that they were thinking about that, because I'm going to say this right now, bluntly, I think Quentin Grimes is a better player than Cam Reddish right now. Um, I think it's also incorrect to suggest that Quentin Grimes doesn't have great upside because... Um, we can talk about this later, maybe, but the sh- Quinn Grimes gives credence to the idea that 3 and D is way too much of a broad stroke um, because on that 3 side, he is elite, elite. Like, um, like, he's the best shooter on the Knicks, and the Knicks have some really good shooters, but I would already say that. Like, he just releases so quick. He's got high release. Um, he's very accurate. So, like, and if you add into the fact that and this is a thing with Reddish we can talk about, but you know, I think Benji, Ariel Pacheco, and um, and Frank Barrett for the Strickland put out good videos, good threads on um, on Reddish. And one of the the common thread you always see is he's a great defender when he's engaged. When he's engaged on offense, he's an active cutter and he makes a lot of good decisions. When he's engaged as a qualifier. That's that is what if you can say something about all of the Knicks young guys, when he's engaged is never a qualifier because they're always engaged. Um, I think that's been RJ has sometimes been like, oh, he's uninvolved in offense, but I think that's because the Knicks have a lot of threats. There's rarely a time where I'm like, RJ just didn't make the effort. Um, the quickly Grimes, McBride, those are guys that are known for that. Um, Obi, Obi as well. Uh, in Mitch's case, I would say Mitch sometimes gets called out for for you know taking a playoff, but he has conditioning issues. So um, 
that's, I think, a thing where with Reddish, it's kind of different where he has all the talent in the world, but when he's engaged as a qualifier, you see a lot. And that doesn't mean he's lazy, but that does mean that our culture is one of very high and relentless effort. And uh, the positive view on that is that perhaps it rolls off on, rubs off on him. But, um, you know, I think he has to earn that to get minutes, as you say, over a guy like Rhymes. Yeah, I think... Uh, sorry, you were, you were talking about including Grimes to trade, but I'm also saying on kind of a related note, um, I think to earn minutes over someone like Grimes, he'd have to show me that. Yeah, and I think that um, I definitely don't... As I began to think about the trade more, it struck me that if the Knicks are really interested in seeing what Reddish can do, it would more, I think, require that they make another deal and open a spot for him rather than they're just going to plug him in. I don't think he's ahead of most of the guys in their rotation right now. I do think because like, and knowing that they have this year and next year um, before I think they'd have to, before he would be a restricted free agent. Um, I love the idea of like, let, let him come in and let's see what he does now and what his effort is like. And then you've got a whole summer to figure out what to do. And if you need it another year, um, I feel like he could, you know, Reddish's talent coupled with your typical Thibodeau player intensity would be like a hell of a package. And Atlanta would be, you know, just the latest in a, in a long line of teams who have a player like that, give up on him, and later on are like, oh, okay, like it worked out pretty good. But I don't think Reddish steps into a spot right now. I, I do wonder a lot if there's another move coming involving um i keep seeing alec burks's name a lot and i i'm okay with burks in the right deal going away um but like for example fred katz um there was a piece of the athletic today where different um staff writers from different teams were pitching trade proposals to um just talking about training for Oh, trading for, um, was it Miles Turner? They were pitching trade packages for somebody, and the Knicks were, oh, for, sorry, for Jeremy Grant. And Fred's Katz's proposal was Burks, Noel, Toppin, and a first. I feel like Toppin, Noel, and a first is enough for Jeremy Grant. Um, and I would like to keep Burks if possible. I know he has struggled from the field. Well, he struggled from two, and he's not a, he's not a point guard, which is where he's played most of the year. But Burks again in the last win over Dallas had another one of those games where he shot like two of nine, but he had eight or nine rebounds. He had six assists. Even if he's not shooting well, just the fact that you have a player on the team that is at least competent. You know, even though it's not his strength, he's a ball handler. He's one of the only combo guards the Knicks have who's not like six foot two or six foot three. I'm not desperate to get rid of Burks. Um, but whether whether he's in front of Reddish or you think he's holding Reddish back or you think he's better, I think that would be too much for Jeremy Grant, especially given that I'm not sure how much of a seamless fit Jeremy Grant is between Randall and Barrett anyway. I like Grant and like. If the Knicks were going to trade for him and make him, I don't know how I've gotten on Jeremy Grant now. If the Knicks were going to trade for Jeremy Grant and make him like a sixth man and keep Fournier shooting in the starting lineup, I would consider that deal. 
but I don't see how you're going to start Randall, Grant, and Barrett, and Mitch. You could have Steph Curry at the point guard. You're not going to have any spacing if that happens. Yeah, I mean, I would hope that the idea... I, I hope they would not make this deal without telling Tibbs, you're not fucking starting Mitchell Robinson anymore. Um, you're starting Grant and Randall in the front court positions. Right, right. <laughs> um, I would imagine that if Grant has to go from being the star in Detroit to being a sixth man, I'm not sure how kindly he would take that to that either, right? Yeah. Um, so I think you bring up a lot of good points about Burks that go understated. I think the bigger thing for them would be, um, you know, he can play the one, but we don't really need him to play the one. Uh, I prefer Emmanuel Quick get the position, but even if you don't, we have two other players who can be healthy. Um, I honestly prefer Deuce at that position to Burks, but if you don't agree with that, um, that's not really something the Knicks need from him right now. Um, he's a tr- he, you, You're right. In terms of that on-ball skill set, getting that at 6'6", six, six, Knicks don't really have someone else who gives them that. But they have a player in Grimes who... As good a shooter as Alec Burks, Alec Burks is a terrific shooter, even by NBA standards. Grimes gives you, he's. I think Grimes is gives you more off like catch and shoot because of how quick his release is. Yeah. Even Burks, who has a really smooth release, doesn't give you quite that. Burks a little bit better, probably off the dribble or creating shots off the dribble, but that's just a tougher shot. I think if you give those minutes to Grimes, that matters. But to your point. Um, so here's the thing, right? If they're looking to consolidate and make a trade, Burks is the more obvious candidate than Fournier. I think most Knicks fans would prefer to keep Burks. But <laughs> um, if you have a player who's $7 million cheaper and he's also the better player, I think most of us think Burks is than Fournier. He's going to, um, he's also, other teams are going to be aware of that too. Um, I think it'll come down to this This next stretch is going to be important. The Knicks are right at 500, about halfway through the season. Um, if it looks like they can be in the mix for, you know, the sixth seed even, or maybe the sixth seed is, is far gone, but if it looks like they have a good shot at a play-in, and it's not so far off, it's not so far, far-fetched, far right? Um, if you look at the teams in front of the Knicks, I think at this point, it's tough to say the Cavs aren't for real. Um, they're three games ahead of the Knicks, but that seems like they would be tough to catch. But you, you'd never say never. They have a chance at that. Uh, and even the fifth seed Sixers are only, um, you know, they're four games, they're three games ahead of the Knicks, too. They've so four games time. ahead in the loss column. They've so th- that is within reach. Um, and then if you look at the other teams, um, you know, the Hornets are legit, the Raptors. It's tough to say, but I look at the team like the Wizards, and they've—I mean—they had a hot start, but they've just—they haven't been that good since. And they have Bradley Beal, and they have a well-assembled team, but I don't think they're a better team than the Knicks. Um, and they've really been trending down downward since a tough start. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Knicks have a tough schedule, but they've started to click, and that's without their two best point guards. Like, as much as I love quickly, I'd have to admit that about Kemba and Rose. So, you know, it, it seems hopeful, and I think the next couple of weeks are going to determine if 
it's going to determine whether the Knicks are willing to trade Burks for anything less than like a massive upgrade mm-hmm. versus whether they would keep Burks. Because if they're in the playoff hunt, I would say if I'm trading Burks, um, I better be getting back like a top 50 player. That's, I think, how I, they would look at it. Mm-hmm. Or like a very a, a young and extremely promising player. I'm, I'm not trading Burks unless I'm getting a steal. Yeah, agree. And I don't. I mean, does Jeremy Grant fit that? If he does, then I think, like, yeah, I think to your point, maybe they do it because the other side of that is if you are in contention for that six seed, you know, you're kind of maybe put the floor to the put the pedal to the floor. Um, so maybe you do do that trade that you mentioned, which is a lot to give up, Burson Obi, but. Um, but you know, Jeremy Grant is right on that border of that, um, and I think the most important thing would be to kind of the point you made. If Tibbs is going to be like, I'm starting Jeremy Grant at the three, with Randall at the four and Mitch at the five, like that's just not going to work. But if he's the rare, but if he's the guy that allows you to go small, right? Because Tibbs clearly doesn't really trust Obi to do that. Mm-hmm. If he if if he trusts Jeremy Grant to play next to Randall in that big lineup, that could make it worthwhile. Yeah, like I can see, as far as names being mentioned in Nick trade rumors, like well, it makes sense to me because I think either you're re-signing Mitch because the pair he's been on is and I think his conditioning is the biggest thing that um, has sparked that. But when Mitchell Robinson is playing the way he has the last yeah. ten games or so, like he is the starting center, um, he is. There's not a huge gap to Miles Turner at that point, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And and there is otherwise on the roster. Like, Nerlens Noel, I think, is a very good backup. Um, can be. Mitchell Robinson is can be, like, a pretty good starter. So you can trade Noel because, again, if you're getting someone that you think is, is a significant piece moving forward, then, like, your backup center making 11 a million a year is not such a big deal. I can trade Obi, particularly in a deal for Grant, um, because... At that point, there's really no – I don't see – I cannot see how a Nick team with Mitch, Randall, and Jeremy Grant has any room for Obi Toppin in, in the future. So I'm willing to make that move at that point because I don't know what Obi's going to be. And, again, if Jeremy Grant works, he'd, he probably is, is a better is a better player, like, period, going forward. But I don't think Burks is as easily replaceable, like what you're saying, um, on the team. And, and as for Grimes – I have been very impressed the more I've seen of him watching, you know, his like little flavors of Grimes that we had not maybe seen in his first few games. There was a play, I think it was against the Spurs, when Grimes got an offensive rebound near the paint and he started to dribble to the corner, the baseline corner, and then after like two dribbles, immediately turned and went back to the basket and it got him past the defender it brought over the rim protector. He left it up for whatever center was there to, to lay it in. But it was a real creative moment. I've seen Grimes recently at least looking like more comfortable off the dribble or doing something other than catching and shooting. So I was surprised that, like, like I said earlier, I was really relieved at how much I cared that they kept Grimes. And I've been very impressed, like, like – I think the best you hope for with the 20 whatever pick in the draft is like, can this guy be like a legit rotation piece? And I feel like he is, especially on this team. Um, Cause I think he fits some bills that other people don't. Yeah. I mean, um, on Grimes, um, 
I think, yeah, I was saying this before. Like, we just lump three and D guys together, right, if they can't do much off the dribble. But he's, like, if you look at the volume he, of shots he gets up, like, even when he's not open, he's open. Because he shoots from up here, he needs an inch of space, barely. And I think that was kind of, um, you know, with Reggie Bullock, we saw that where he was a terrific shooter during the season. But, um, you know, getting your – and, like, that's not a knock on Reggie Bullock, right? That's a very – that's, if anything, speaks to how rare Quentin Grimes is. But I think Knicks fans who would view Quentin Grimes as um, just your standard um, your standard 3 and D guy, like, no, on that 3 end, he has the potential to be – I see a whole lot of Joe Harris in his offensive game. Uh, who's who ended up getting twenty million dollars? But he has way million, way more. Um, he has way more juice on defense. Uh, he also has the tenacity to be a one to three guy. Like I'm not trading that guy for anything. I wouldn't even trade him for De'Aaron Fox, to be honest. Um, so I am I'm very high on Grimes. I think like if I'm ranking the Knicks prospects, I'm gonna leave Mitch out because his contract situation makes everything weird. Leaving Mitch out. RJ, IQ are like my top prospects, and I would put Grimes in there. And I would put like Obi McBride in a tier below. Um, so that's how I feel like, because that level of, sh- like, he's the best shooter on a roster with a lot of great shooters. Like, quickly is a great shooter, and Grimes can do things quickly can't. And that's a, that's a really important thing. I can tell how much I have fallen quickly for Grimes because he has this effect that occasional Nick players have on me. Doug McDermott had it more than anyone where I expect the player to be such a good shooter that like anytime they miss, I'm bothered. So anytime they miss two or three, I'm like, what the hell is going on? So like Grimes, I wrote in a recap recently that like, I felt like I hadn't seen him hit a three since um, the game where he blew up and had like seven of them. But when I look at Grimes' numbers, he's shooting like almost 39% on the field from three. He's averaging, I think, 9.4 threes per 36, which leads the team um, as far as people who actually play. Um, he's already a guy that you're like, how did he miss? And like, there's not many like that. Hubert Davis was like that. Um, and there's like no rookies like that. Right? No, you don't, you, literally the only rookie I think in my life like that was Hubert Davis. And Hubert Davis came to the league known as he does one thing, like he can shoot. And the Nick teams in the 90s had no one who could shoot, no guards who could shoot. So Hubert Davis like really stood out. But Quentin Grimes, like he can shoot. Yeah, I mean, and you see him put up shots sometimes that your initial thought is like, why is he lining up to take? But like you're saying, he's so quick that. And, the, and on those shots too, he doesn't look bothered, right? Like there's a guy in his face. But most guys, they have to shift the way they shoot it. Yeah. Like, he's still doing the same thing. Right? So the guy might not even be there. Form holds. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited. You know, early in the season, more than last year, because last year quickly and even Toppin played kind of right away. I was worried for a while this year. Like we're not seeing McBride, we're not seeing Grimes. Like, does that mean they're struggling? Does that mean the piss? But once again, you know, especially for the spots where they were taken, I think you have to feel pretty good about the Nick front office again, identifying pieces that they need and getting them. Uh, Tommy Beer tweeted yesterday, the value the Knicks have gotten from um, the picks 
the 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 trades the Knicks have made, I think this year, this year in the draft, like to get basically they've gotten like Yokobinus, McBride, and Grimes. I, I, I'll find the tweet. Tommy Bird tweeted something about the value the Knicks have gotten recently from from their draft trades, and it's like pretty remarkable. Again, it, and I'm not telling you anything new here. It's just nice to be able to talk about the Knicks. And be like, yep, once again, our front office did a hell of a job on draft night. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things you can point to. I think they just, I mean, they've brought Walt Perrin on board. They've invested in more analytics. So they've invested in analytics and scouting, which there are not orthogonal, right? I think um, this is kind of a side note, but I did. I had a conversation a long time ago someone who worked in basketball analytics and I was talking with him. I was like, um, you know, like what are you talking about with the teams? And he's like, well, honestly, look at the Lakers and the Rockets, right? So those are both teams that have drafted well in, in recent years. And the Rockets are a team that invested heavily in analytics and the Lakers are one that didn't until recently. And he said they both drafted extremely well. Why? Because it's more, it's the causality is reversed, right? If you invest in analytics it shows that you're really you're, there's no team that invests in analytics and not in scouting. It just means you're prioritizing that whole process, right? Um, so the teams that really prioritize that have reaped the benefits, and I think the Knicks have taken that that direction. And at that point, like at that point, the only problems you end up having are: should we have taken Emmanuel quickly or Desmond Bain? Like Desmond Bain's awesome, but like. <laughs> You should be. You're not. We're not. I'm, no one's complaining about Emmanuel quickly at 25. Right. Um, you know the, the questions might be: Should we have taken Cam Thomas or Quentin Grimes? Cam Thomas has been very good for Brooklyn, yeah. uh, and he will certainly learn how to ISO and never pass the ball from Kyrie Irving. Um, hopefully, he won't learn any signs from Kyrie Irving. But the point is, like, like that's not to say that Cam Thomas wouldn't have been great in New York. But you can't really hate on the picking Quentin Grimes. And I say that as someone who wanted Bones instead of Quentin Grimes. I did not want Quentin Grimes. Yeah, and but but that's and like that's that's what I'm trying to like when people are like, should we trade for Miles Turner? Quentin Grimes should never should not be thought of as a throw-in. That's my point. I I really don't think I don't even think Jericho Sims should be, but if you wanted to tell me Jericho Sims should be thought of as a throw-in, I could live with that. If you wanted to tell me Obi could be thought of as a throw-in. I could live with that. If you wanted to tell me Deuce could be a throw-in, that's the closest where I'd be like, but that's also because I've watched a lot of Deuce throughout college, and I'm pretty high on him, mm-hmm. but I could see that. But after what Quinn Grimes has shown, like the shooting he does, I mean, I'm going I'm to bring this up, but the kind of the consensus best shooter in the draft, last draft, was Corey Kispert, um, guy from Gonzaga, uh, you know, he was shooting well into the 40s on a high volume, off the dribble, movement, catch and shoot, whatever. He could do it all. This season, he's gotten 30, he's played in 37 games. He's averaging 17 minutes a game. He's only shooting 31% from three. Um, per 36, he's averaging 9.8. So kind of the same territory as Quinn Grimes. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's how – and, like, I think – Corey Kispert is going to be a very good shooter at some point in his career, but that's how good Quentin Grimes has been. Like that's not, it's not just a three and D guy. And like, you can see how he plays defense. He's a terrific defender. Like, and he still has to figure some things out, but 
um, you know, it's he's he's close to untouchable for me. Yeah. Um, here's the beer tweet. Beer said that six months ago the Knicks entered the draft with the 19th, 21st, and 32nd picks. New York has flipped those three picks into Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, Roku Yokobitis, Deuce McBride, uh, Detroit's 2024 second, Brooklyn's 2025 second, and Solomon Hill, who's, who's out for the season. So that makes me feel like, you know, when this team makes trades, at this point, I trust what they're doing. Um, I don't feel, I trust that this front office would not throw in Quentin Grimes or would not be foolish with Alec Burks unless it was bringing back someone of such substantive quality that like it had to be done. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to argue with that. Um, given the track record. I mean, if you look at the trades they've made, um, I mean, the first notable trade they made was trading Dennis Smith in a second mm-hmm. for, um, arguably now the best player on our team or the second best player on our team. I'll say second best. I know, that can come across as disrespectful to Julius, but think, he's one of the top. Bill Simmons only okay. take an issue with you about that. Yeah, I, that's. I was going to mention that. Like, yeah, like he said, the Knicks haven't fleeced anyone in a while. That was. I mean, there are many who would argue that the KP trade was a fleecing. There are many who would argue who that trading Marcus Morris for half a season yep. to get Emmanuel quickly was a fleecing. Um, but you know, Bill Simmons is going to do what Bill Simmons is going to do. Um, I, I, I'm not going to extend that to the entire ringer staff, um, mainly because there are a couple guys, particularly Kevin O'Connor, who are extremely fair to us. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I will say, yeah, like Kevin O'Connor is, has always been, I think the most fa- fair to us. Dan Devine, uh, so Dan Devine had a good piece about the, the reddish, the camera trade, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think those, I mean, I think, I think with the reddish trade, it's um I've read it from a lot of sources. There's there's a Nets Daily writer. We don't always endorse Nets Daily on here, but uh well Nets Daily the person and Nets Daily the blog are two different things. But right. there is a Nets Daily writer, Lucas Kaplan, who I, I recommend following. Um, but he had a really good piece on Reddish. I think he was gonna release it independently of the trade, and then that just happened to help him out. But you're seeing that you're seeing through all of these these things that there's a few issues that reddish really struggles with uh and a few things that he, he so he's a gifted he i mean if you watch the guy shoot he has a pretty stroke i don't know if it's as pretty as Quentin grimes but it's a very pretty stroke he's a natural shooter um he has the athleticism and body control and skill to score at the rim that i don't even think rj has his percentage at the rim is similar to rj because rj will use his strength more and but cam's like skill and footwork and all of that that is very elite um he's not a great passer but he can show the ability to make the right play um so with on offense, it's like he's but even and even with all of that, his true shooting is like a fifty four percent, which is not great, but it is respectable. It's not like you look at it and you want to puke, right? For a twenty two year old, it is you know respectable. Um, I think what's worrisome, or I think the biggest thing is this, right? Like if you watch, like allegedly, what Reddish said was he wanted to go where he could get a bigger role. 
He also had an interview this year where he said, I want to get back to doing what I was doing in high school, which, um, you know, if that means on ball reps, ISO, if that means pick and roll, he's shown himself to be a decent pick and roll player, but what he's really been best at is catch and shoot and attacking. So catch and shoot as in shooting catch and shoot as in going to the rim, right? Because he's a big guy. He's quick. He's got kind of that freak. Like, once you get him against a rotating defense, he's really tough to stop. Mm-hmm. But creating for himself is still kind of an adventure. You know, it's part of it is will he be willing to buy into that, especially since the Knicks have a lot of other players kind of who are better with the ball in their hands, right? Um, so that becomes a bit of a question. And then on defense, like, at times he's looked like Kawhi or Paul George, right? He's shown the ability to lock down guys like James Harden. He's shown the ability. I mean, he's got a great steal rate and a deflection rate. Like he is great at getting in passing lanes and he's huge. Um, Wingspan wise. But the other part of it is he'll often fall asleep off ball. Sometimes he'll decide to be lazy on screens. Um, Yeah, that's the thing. And and right now it all adds up to not a plus NBA player. Um, I guess I'll ask you this. Like, how many examples of guys who the sum of their skills is so much less than their parts? And I I will will differentiate. There's people who have drawn a parallel between Kevin Knox and Cam Reddish. Um, And I I would take offense to that because, like I told you a bunch of times, I see Kevin Knox at this point in his career as Steve Novak. Reddish is not Steve Novak. Kevin Knox is a player who is outside of the NBA rotation on most teams. Mm-hmm. Um, Cam Reddish is a rotation is a bad rotation player, but still a rotation player even on good teams. There's a big difference between that. Mm-hmm. And at 22, that's not a that's not a death knell. So I don't think Cam Reddish is necessarily behind even for the eighth pick on a prospect. Like Frank was the eighth pick. There's an argument that. Cam having gotten rotation minutes, gotten playoff minutes for the Hawks last year, um, puts him farther ahead than someone like Frank. Mm-hmm. But he is not yet a plus NBA player. You can you can hold both those opinions that he's promising and he hasn't done anything bad as a prospect, and also that he's not a good a plus NBA player yet. Um, and it's just going to be fascinating to see. You know, like there's nothing he's done to suggest that he's a lost cause. Or that his trajectory isn't good. His trajectory is, I think, still positive and has always appeared positive. But at some point, you need to start turning some of that potential into a willing... And, and I think the biggest willingness is he's got to be willing to commit to 100% of defensive possessions, which might sound like a lot, but if you look at his teammates, Quinton Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, <coughs> RJ Barrett, it's, it certainly doesn't seem to be too much to ask of them. And then the other thing is, will he be willing to, is there a way to increase his role and give him more uh, responsibility um, without, while still playing to his strengths? I think those will be the main things. And, and there is a way to do that. Um, I think part of it in that Lucas Kaplan piece was, I think a big part of it is, even especially in Atlanta's offense, right? Their offense is very complex. So if you're off ball, there's still a lot of complex reads and there's a lot of thinking, should I attack, should I go? Whereas if you're on ball, the reads can be a little bit simpler. I get that. But I think if there's a way to have him play off others, but simplify the game and make it so that he's, if he's on ball, he's mostly in pick and roll 
And if he's off ball, it's mostly just re react and read in a very simple manner. He's not having to read the whole floor and, and simplify the game for him. His tools can take over. And then, I'm, you know, I, sometimes when you say that, it can sound like you're questioning the player's processing or something. Mm -hmm. But that's just, just a tough thing for, for young players to do. Especially players that if you're if you're Cam Reddish in high school, that's the kind of player that's going to just dominate. But we we underestimate so much sometimes how much of an adjustment it is where you are just outlier good in high school and then not quite as outlier good in college, and then you're average in, in the NBA. And that adjustment, like most people don't have to go through that in their careers, right? Going from outlier to kind of good to average. So, mm -hmm. you know, it is what it is. I want to. You talked about about reading the floor, and I want to shift from Cam to um, a question that the fans have had for years. But I'm wondering if the answer is is maybe in front of us in a way it hasn't been before. So, you know, the Knicks are to point guards what like New York City is to mayors, which is just, they never have a good one, never, 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 never. And we're always, you know, can we sign this person? Can we trade for this person? Can we win the lottery? To land this person right now, obviously they're both injured. But if you're getting 48 minutes from Kemba Rose and Derek, Kemba Rose, from Kemba Rose and Derek Walker, I'll say um, that's not bad. Like that's that's pretty quality. But both of those players, obviously Rose and Walker, they're older. Um, they have injury concerns. Um, neither one is cut out right now to be a, th a 30 minute starter at the point, even in positionless whatever. But there's three players on the Knicks or who will be on the Knicks soon, who have very different plus skill sets um, that might be candidates heading forward in this in this, in this this position. And I'm curious um, your thoughts about that and about all of them. And we mean um, Emmanuel Quickly and Miles McBride, and then overseas, Rokas uh, Yokobitis, who you have probably seen more than most of our listeners and certainly more than I, um, What's your take on their strengths? And do you have a preference among them for who you would hope would win the job? Does it matter at this point? Because there's so much lineup mixing and matching. Like if you have the right combination of the right point guards, is that enough? What's your take on this? Uh, well, I actually want to throw it back to you at first because I, I did just talk for a while. So I, I know you you haven't watched as much um, of Rokas, but I know you've seen a good amount of dues. I know you've seen quickly for two years. What are your, kind of your thoughts on if one of those guys can solve the, the point guard conundrum? I think quickly can work out because I, I think what has been really revelatory the last couple of seasons with predominantly Randall, um, but I think also sometimes with, with some other pieces or just the way things work, I don't think I subscribe as much anymore to the idea that the Knicks need a point god kind of alpha at the position. I think quickly, so as long as we're talking this Nick team for the foreseeable future, I like quickly because I think the Knicks don't need a point guard who has like a usage rate of 30 or 40. Like Randall's going to make decisions and get touches. I think Barrett, as he matures more, will do more of that also. Um, I like quickly because I think quickly came right in with these players. He knows the their strengths. He knows their tendencies. Um, quickly is not someone who has to dominate the ball. 
he doesn't even need the ball in his hands to be effective, which I think um, sometimes some of these great point guards are like that. Um, and John Wall is someone – John Wall and Russell Westbrook might still be the two highest-paid point guards. If not, they're very, very close. And those are two players who, like, if they don't have the ball in their hand, they're not anywhere close to a max player. Um, whereas quickly, playoff screens um, is dangerous, you know, transition threes. This defense is improving. I think quickly could be fine. I think quickly could be better than a fine as the point guard. I really like McBride a lot. Um, and I feel like if McBride maxes out what McBride can do, he might be more of a Thibodeau point guard um, even than quickly is. Um, Yokobias, I really know most of what I know about him from my conversations with you. So I know that he can drive. Um, you said he's bigger than the other two, which is intriguing. I think quickly can handle it. I think quickly can be a starting point guard or a sixth man. I think McBride can be a starting point guard or a sixth man because I think his defensive tone setting is that intense. Where do you think Yokobitis' um, skills and ceilings measure up versus those other two? Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's a pretty good summary. I agree with pretty much all of that. I think it's a great point that um, quickly can play without the ball. It's also why I wanted him to start last year uh, when the offense was mostly running through Randall. Um, I would say, um, so one thing that's encouraging about all three of these guards is uh, McBride and quickly on height are both 6'2", 6'3", right? But they both have 6'8", 6'9", wingspans. And they're both very tenacious. McBride is built like a linebacker. Quickly this year, quickly still looks skinny, but he's gained weight since last year. And if you look at his functional strength, it seems to be kind of that, you know, it's always tough to compare quickly to Steph Curry. But what I will say is Steph Curry has often been able to play stronger than he is because he's, he's very great core strength. And I think that quickly has shown that this year. Like, I think all three of them can guard ones and twos. And they can all shoot and they can all play with or without the ball. So if you need to play any of those guys together, you can. It doesn't shortchange you on either end of the floor. Um, and your other two young wings, uh, sorry, Barrett and Grimes, can both also play the two and the three, right? Grimes, because his strength and he has pretty good wingspan, Barrett can also has the quickness to guard twos. Um, so I think that it's kind of... But that said, it's still a lot of guys... Um, in one place. And, you know, I think Prez tweeted about this, but it seems like it's going to come down to one of Deuce or Rokas. Um, it does seem like Quickly is kind of there as their utility guard for the future. McBride, I, I have really been impressed. I was a huge fan of his college tape. But the results have been mixed in the pros. Nothing to worry about if you're a... Um, Nothing to worry about with a rookie, right? There's been good rookies who have, who have struggled as, and he's sh- like the potential he has shown, and how extensively he's dominated the G League isn't anything to write away. But the reality is, Yokobitis has dominated a much better league, right? Mm-hmm. I think they will keep that going for the near future, but at some point, at some point, this team is going to have to consolidate and go for a star. 
is that Donovan Mitchell? Is that <laughs> Jeremy Grant? Those are the two ends of the spectrum, I think. And I'm not trying to clown Jeremy Grant, who is a very good player. Uh, but it's, you know, there is a difference between a superstar and then Jeremy Grant is kind of in the Julius Randle tier of stars where he's a very good player, but, um, you know, isn't going to by themselves make you a contender, whereas Donovan Mitchell is, right? Is it going to be one of those guys? I don't know, but at some point they're going to have to, they have a lot of strong and promising players at the guard position who probably have a high value. And it'll be interesting to see how they decide on that, but the other thing is, like, they've they've drafted intelligently because if you look at these three guards, they're, like, kind of overlapping skill sets. So the overlapping skill sets are what tell you what the Knicks really prefer. Namely, all three are good pull-up shooters. Um, Quickly and McBride are really good pull-up shooters. Rokas can do it, but he's more of a methodical player. Uh, Goran Dragic is the name that comes up a lot for Roka, for Yukubaitis, but... Um, you know, I, I know that the European comp can seem very lazy for a lot of European players. So if you wanted to uh, compare him to a D1 player, uh, that would be Jalen Brunson, actually. He plays very similarly, um, where he's kind of a physical driver, not as much a... Like, he has a good first step, but at the end, against help defenders, it's more of, like his power and his savvy and kind of the guile. Guile is a, is a word that I think is used for both of them. So it's very similar to him, right? But he's kind of, but he's closest, he's the closest thing to an archetypal point guard, um, which part of, you know, what I've gotten into fights with a lot of people about is that I kind of think the Knicks shouldn't be married to the idea of an archetypal point guard, certainly if Julius Randle is handling everything. But Jokubaitis gives them that. And the biggest thing that I do believe they need is the rim pressure, right? McBride also gives them the, all three are terrific in pick and roll, by the way. Um, Jokovic also can guard both positions and is a really good defender. Like what the difference between really good and excellent is more like um, with McBride, uh, he is the guy who like wants to just beat you down into submission when he defends you mm-hmm. uh, and make you cry uncle. Whereas Jokovic is more the guy who wants to do his job and make sure you don't score. Right. Um, <laughs> So, and quickly is somewhere in the middle, but probably closer to the Yokobitis side of the spectrum. And hey, like, you know, the downside of that is you can get in foul trouble, right? So I'm not expressing a preference for one way. That's kind of Yokobitis, right? But what he doesn't have that the other two have, Yokobitis, you can't go under, you don't want to go under screens against him, but he's not exactly Steph Curry pulling up, right? He's more, he's closer to, he's not even Fred Van Fleet. He's closer to like, um, He's closer to, like, yeah, Dragic. I think Dragic is a good comp. Um, whereas, quickly in McBride, if you go down, if you under you go under against them, you're done. And they love to pull up from three. McBride loves to pull up from two. McBride's case, the other thing is that he's a, he was a high school quarterback, uh, particularly from the perimeter. He has a good understanding of angles. He's very ambitious with his passing. Um he doesn't draw as much attention and he doesn't get to the rim as much as you'd like, but he's so big that you have to think that one day he'll get there. And he's like, I mean, we've seen him dunk on Cade Cunningham. Um, so that's kind of the, but like the question with McBride, the question with Rokas is if he comes to the States, the kind of rim attempts he's getting, 
will they be there? The question with McBride is, you know, we, in theory, he should be able to get to the rim a lot, right? In West Virginia, he didn't go to the rim, but I think there was an inbuilt excuse that they were often playing two bigs. They barely ran any pick and roll and he didn't have opportunities to get to the hole. Um, and he, in theory, because of his size, like in an optimized system, he should do that. He's shown flashes of that in New York. And quickly, we know that quickly we've talked about a lot, right? Like he can pull up from anywhere. He has good handle. I think he's an underrated passer, um, especially for a 22 year old. Like I think there's a ways to go, but um, if you're not comparing him to the John Morans of the world, he's a solid passer for his age. Uh, the question is, can he? Like he's not big. He's not super athletic. Can he create that Tony Parker, Steve Nash type of game? But I, the, the last thing I'll say when it comes to Nick's young guards is I think people people really are expecting them to become point guards too quick right, or writing them off too quick because, you know, we just played a guy named DeWante Murray who, who killed the Knicks. You know, the Knicks won that game, but he had a extremely – he was just on fire. He was blowing by some of our best defenders, getting a ton of assists. I think he's averaging like 18, 8, and 8. He's a very well-rounded player. He's 25, and until this year, he was a liability as a jump shooter. Now he's become a really good mid-range shooter. Um, you know, he was still figuring out the nuances of the point guard positions. Um, if you look at a guy like Fred Van Fleet, or if you look at um, even a guy like Dame, who didn't come to the league until he was 23, right? Um, it's a hard position, <laughs> right? And people look at a guy like John Morant come in and light the league on fire, or Luka Doncic, or Trey Young. Like that's not the right scale to judge these guys on. And and I do think certain archetypes are more forgiven than others, right? So if you're like, if you can get to the rim at will, even if you can't shoot, they'll give you a pass, right? But it's now been 15 years, and we're still giving Russell Westbrook a pass, right? So. Why do we give Russell Westbrook a pass on that, um, or, or John Wall, or anyone, and we assume that they can learn how to shoot? But if a guy is a great pull-up shooter, but needs to work on his technique at the rim, we just assume they can never do that. You know, that seems to be a little, and I think that's an arbitrage opportunity the Knicks are exploiting. Uh, I was talking with someone about this on Twitter, but I was talking with Dallas Amico about this. Do the Knicks prefer three-point shooters to? interior rim guys and i'd be curious to your thoughts on this matt but i i i feel like um i don't know if it's so much of that but i feel like in the draft at least they so part of the reason they have so many guys who are more three-point oriented than rim oriented is they've drafted a lot of guards and they've drafted a lot in the late first round right so um if you look at that what does that tell you right one the guys who can both get to the rim and shoot from deep as point guards, they're not going after pick like seven, right? And the Knicks yeah, don't yeah. pick that. They don't have that luck. Um, so between what's left, where is the arbitrage opportunity? And I think the Knicks have decided that, that the players who are good pull-up shooters tend to be more undervalued than the players who are good at getting to the rim. But um, I, I don't know if that's the right way to look at it, but I think that's that seems to be what's indicated by what they've their draft strategy. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that though. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna save you my thoughts for next time because I want to give the listeners a hook and a reason to stay, and also because I have to run, and also uh, I wanted to say that that was the most pleasant, optimistic discussion of Nick Point Guard prospects, literally since 1989. So I want to thank. That's you. when I was born. So <laughs> see, there's always connections, singularities happening. No, for real, like. Like you're saying, I mean, 15 years, you can, you can double that, really, since Rod Strickland and Mark Jackson. Like, it hasn't been a good conversation, particularly, particularly around young, talented Nick Point guards. So um, it's exciting to know that even if – it's very exciting to me that there are good, good players in place right now manning the position, that there are multiple candidates going forward who we can see, like, ascending to that role. Um, I really do have to run now, though, so sorry, everybody. Um, we will pot again soon. Knicks have two big games coming up against Atlanta and Charlotte, and they play Minnesota and the back-to-back. So we will talk to you sometime, I'm guessing, during those spans of games. Uh, Knicks have won 7 of 10. Hopefully they keep that going. Um, anything Hopefully else? RJ and Mitch, I'll say. RJ and Mitch yeah. have a terrific week. Yeah, I would love That's for RJ to do this for another three or four months. Um Maybe even into June. We'll see. So, Stacey Patton, thank you as always. We will talk more soon. Everybody out there, um, be safe and go Knicks. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.